From the Los Angeles Times, this is Can't Stop Watching, your TV faves on their TV faves. I'm your host, Ivan Villarreal. Today, which is our last special bonus episode, we can't stop watching Paul Mescal. He plays the popular high school sports star Connell Waldron on Normal People. Paul's earned an Emmy nomination for the role for Best Lead Actor in a Limited Series. He talks to me about what it was like to shoot his first ever sex scene for the show. The first time you do it anyway, it's not a particularly comfortable experience for anybody because everybody's ensuring that everybody feels safe and that's paramount and that's priority number one. Paul also discusses why he left Gaelic football for the stage and how he starred in a music video for the Rolling Stones during lockdown. Here we go. Paul, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Yvonne. I guess we should just start the trend now of saying Emmy nominee Paul Meskel. Is that what you prefer? Is that you going to start demanding this now? <laughs> um, no, I, I think I'll stick to Paul Meskel for the time being anyway. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> Does it have a nice sound at least to you? Oh, I'm cer- certainly not complaining, but uh, one that I'm... Uh, trying to adapt to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> How did you end up celebrating the nomination? So it was, it was a school night, essentially, but I, I had a few drinks with my flatmates in London. And it, it was all kind of surreal and like, obviously, an incredibly happy moment, but kind of uh, bittersweet in the sense that it was all kind of over the phone in terms of talking to family. And uh, yeah, you, you kind of always just assume that you'll get to share those with like, your family and, and all, all all your friends. But uh, due to the current circumstances, I think uh, that, well, it just hasn't been the case. Yeah. How was it to be claimed as uh, being British? Um, not great. Not my favorite thing that's ever happened. But um, I, I look, there's a, there's a bit of a track record there um, in terms of certain Irish actors being claimed as British. And uh, to be honest, I, I, I put up a tweet that like it was totally tongue in cheek. It wasn't like me infuriated back at home but uh certainly something that I was uh happy to tweet about let's just say that how did it feel to be performing and to be in a somewhat normal space again I I imagine things are much different where the performance happened than they are out here so tell me a little bit about how it felt to be out there yeah like it's one of those things that I'll be incredibly proud about forever I think it's it's something that I think if the industry that I work in was back to normal. It's not something that we would ever even have entertained in terms of doing simply because it's just kind of off the beaten track. But um, yeah, it was it was a surreal experience and one that like was terrifying in the sense that like I, I felt like I had bitten off more than I could chew because Dermot is such a powerhouse and is such a crazy, crazy voice. But um, it was so fun and getting to kind of work at the same time and being introduced to his band, who I'm now a member of, unofficially, of course, but no, <laughs> um, it was it was so fun and uh, and um, a great memory. Well, let's dive into normal people. Mm-hmm. You've said that you read the book not long before going in for your audition. Mm-hmm. How much did you find yourself identifying with the feelings or the emotions Sally taps into in the book? Yeah, I, I think that that's probably that's a question that's. Um, come up a lot and 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 one that I I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head with it it's like it's certainly I I identified with Connell from an exterior perspective 
a little bit and sometimes not at all. But in terms of the emotions and the kind of interiority of him and the emotions that he feels, I felt like I had good access to. And um, there were certainly emotions and feelings and kind of places that I recognized. But I don't think I was kind of on my own in that scenario. I think uh, that's the power of Sally's writing is that audiences, both readers of the book and, and the audiences of the show, recognize themselves in in the characters. And yeah, it was just a really exciting read because you're reading it from the perspective that you want to be playing this character and how rich that territory is was um, something that was just like, I don't know, it just made me super excited when I was reading it. Had you any idea how devoted the fan base was of the book? Oh, totally. I, and I was a member of that devoted fan base. So yeah, it was... It's us. Oh, it's like a real cult fan club that's kind of now not a cult fan club anymore because it's got such a wide audience. How was it navigating a show for the first time in this way, co-headlining, particularly when readers are so invested in this character mm-hmm. and when so much vulnerability is required of you? Well, I, I, I think that it goes without saying that I was like blessed with the people that I was working with um, in terms of like knowing that Lenny and Element and the BBC and Hulu were involved kind of from the outset. Those boxes were ticked like hugely. So once I did the chemistry with Daisy, I knew I was in the safest of hands. I knew I was going to be working with an actor of extraordinary talent. And then the more I got to know her, the more extraordinary she became. And she's just like she just she's just an incredible person, an incredible actor, and and the same goes for Lenny and Hetty from a director's capacity. I think, yeah, I think that really helped kind of ease the pressure of it being my first job because I don't think I could have done it if I wasn't surrounded by um, such uh, talented people. What do you remember about that first day on set? <laughs> um, what was the first scene? I remember very little other than the fact that we shot the first scene chronologically. Like We shot it from Connell knocking on the door and then coming in and then the, the scene where Marianne's eating ice cream. And I remember just being kind of, I've probably shut it out of my brain because the stress levels were so high. But um, everyone was so lovely and they were all kind of like, who's this <laughs> what's he doing? <laughs> uh, or that's what I felt. They weren't doing that at all. But uh, yeah, kind of what, what helped a lot, I think, was kind of being in kind of every day. You just don't have time to kind of feel as insecure as I think I would if I was kind of coming in and out of something on a job of this scale. Hmm. How about the growth and the dynamic between you and Daisy from the first days to the last days? When the chemistry between your two characters is so central to the storytelling, are you sort of cognizant of should we be spending a lot of time together offset to develop that chemistry? Or does it work better when we're like preserving it for when we're on the set? I don't know. I think it helps when you know kind of from the first meeting that you really enjoy being around another person and you you don't feel like it's a conscious kind of work-related thing that you're like, we've got to spend time together because we're going to be spending a lot of time together. But first of all, we enjoyed being in each other's company. And second of all, we we developed a shorthand for the characters very quickly. And it just, the, the process in terms of chemistry, I find it very difficult to talk about because there's no kind of 
book or formula that kind of indicates that this is what you do to develop chemistry. It's either something that exists or doesn't, in my opinion. I feel very lucky that it did. And um, yeah, I suppose the answer to the question is that we didn't kind of feel the need to be meeting up all the time because it just felt like the chemistry existed naturally. In those scenes where you're playing off each other, like what did you take away in watching Daisy's performance that helped you and yours? <laughs> and th this isn't me being sycophantic in any shape or form, but like I watched her and I was like, that's how you do acting for screen. Like I haven't worked with anybody on screen to that extent other than with her. And I I've spoken about it before, but how she kind of navigates a day on set in terms of how calm she is, but still so fun and bubbly. And, and, and everybody on set just loves being around her, but she always is so efficient and professional and just, there's just a real spark to her. And, and, and she, she's, a, she's a real actor's actor. I mean that in the sense that she gives so much to you that you feel kind of intoxicated by it and, and you feel like you're playing all the time. And uh, basically, I've just tried to copy her and what she does. <laughs> Did you have much interaction with Sally? Like, and if yes, like what questions did you have for her or what questions did she have for you? Like, did you get a sense that she was maybe not sizing you up, but searching for Connell in you while you spoke? Well, I, so I met Sally after I'd been cast. I met Sally twice for, because she happened to be in Dublin at the time prior to filming. So I met her for two coffees in the lead up to filming on, on separate occasions. It's not really drank two coffees at the same time. It was strange in the sense that I wasn't meeting her with a huge amount of questions in my mind that needed answering. And that's a testament to the book that she has written. I feel like she answers the questions in, in a very subtle yet detailed way. So it was basically me kind of just going to her and feeling like I, I needed my blessing from her in order to go off and play him, which I think she gave. And, and she was very complimentary of the auditions and, and the process. And, and I think that that, well, I know for a fact it really helped me because I don't think I could have played the part if I, if I knew that there was reservations from the writer in terms of what Connell should uh, feel like. And uh, I was very grateful that uh, she felt like I fit the bill on that front. I would imagine if this was your first TV series, this is also the first time for you to do a sex scene. Mm -hmm. And there are several. There are. <laughs> and you guys worked with an intimacy coordinator. Talk a little bit about, I mean, this is your only experience, so you have nothing to compare it to, but what did you find illuminating about that process of working with somebody through these scenes? Like, how helpful was it to you? Oh, in in incredibly so. And I, you're right, I've no, I have nothing else to kind of measure it off in terms of experience, but... I know now moving forward that if, say, I was doing a film or a TV show or, or a play where that was required, I wouldn't step into it without the correct kind of measures in place. And that measure being that an intimacy coordinator is hired to kind of work on those scenes. Because ultimately, I imagine it would be a very uncomfortable experience if there's not a very clear language used or a kind of process in place in which all of the moving parts being the characters and the actors, the director and the cinematographers all feel like they have access and a safe space in which we can talk about the sex scenes and the mechanics of that in a kind of 
very clear and unembarrassed space. And that's essentially what I think Ita provided so, so wonderfully. And I think personally, it's what I enjoy about those scenes so much in kind of retrospect and watching them. I'm like, oh, we made something here that looks and feels very authentic and real. And I think I can speak on behalf of myself and Daisy that we felt totally safe throughout that experience, but I don't think anything was lost in terms of the creative side of it and what we've actually managed to achieve. And and those scenes are some of the scenes that I'm uh, most proud of in the whole show. Well, that's what's fascinating about it is it doesn't feel mechanical or technical. I mean, were those some of the longest days on set to achieve that or? This is a total baptism of fire. Essentially, the first Friday of the first week of me ever being on set was a full day of sex scenes. And I thought I was the night before. I don't think I got much sleep and I thought I was going to die. But then ultimately you arrive to set and there's just a very clear structure put in place. And I think the first day probably took a little bit more time because we were figuring out how the process worked and where we all fit in 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 that, in the bigger picture of it all. But then ultimately, like kind of once you do it, you figure out that it's um, it's not as bad as you think in your head. It's actually a, it's and it's a hugely important part of the show, and it it, it's a moment in which you develop a huge amount of trust with your scene partner, and then after that, you kind of develop a shorthand again, and you know you just trust each other and you trust the team around you that nothing is going to be exploited and you're making these scenes with a common goal that that you want it to be representative of a healthy, exciting, young sexual relationship. And I, and I think that once we kind of knew the structure in place, we were able to kind of move at a faster pace the further we got into the shoot and the more me and Daisy got used to it. Well, not to make light of any of that, but like I totally can understand the sort of paranoia the night before. Like, I think even more than, you know, having to perform it, I think like I would be so caught up in like the makeup people that have to be so close to me and put makeup in places I didn't think makeup should go. (laughs) Yeah. No, you feel so bad. You do. You feel awful. You're like these poor people who have to like put fake sweat on us and all of these things. But ultimately, I think it was a it was a huge bonding experience for everybody on set because everybody, you realize everybody is working towards a common goal in that. And everybody there is A, doing a very specific job, but B, is trying to make you feel comfortable. And that's a really heartening experience when you feel very nervous and ultimately you're the person at the other side of the camera. But it's not a particularly... The first time you do it anyway, it's not a particularly comfortable experience for anybody because everybody's ensuring that everybody feels safe. And that's paramount and that's priority number one. But um, yeah, I, I do genuinely believe that that kind of first day was a really, really important bonding experience for the entire cast and crew. Were you brushing your teeth like crazy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're just like, Daisy, please tell me my breath's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, one one of the more powerful moments in a series of lots of powerful moments was the therapy moments that we see. We get a, a couple of them. And it required a, a different kind of vulnerability from you. How did it challenge you as an actor to do those scenes, which are so important in terms of normalizing seeing men in therapy? And, and how did it help you sort of connect with Connell in a different way? 
so yeah, like I think my approach to those scenes throughout the process of me kind of preparing for the part in general, my approach to those scenes have changed kind of mu- like multiple t- times throughout in, in the sense that like when I read that scene first in the book, I was like, oh, that's a big, that's a big scene for whoever has to play Connell. And it's a scene that's incredibly well written. And then suddenly you get cast as Connell and then you start kind of, the fear sets in and you're like, oh, you are the actors playing Connell. That's a big scene for you. Best of luck, pal. Hope you don't mess it up. <laughs> then you kind of realize that why you feel that scene is so vital and so exciting and sad to read at the same time is that it is touching the nerve of something that is very present in the society in which we live. And it's representing a lot of people that I know, friends, acquaintances, and generally it's represented a lot of kind of stoic young men who are kind of trapped in this sensitivity or they have no place where they feel like they can express vulnerability. And Connell is kind of the archetype of that. Yes, we get this wonderful scene in the middle that I don't think anybody's expecting where they see him kind of wrestling with his emotions. Somebody who's kind of, we understand is very sensitive, but is kind of emotionally reserved or emotionally backfooted. Um, and then it becomes a very kind of calculated process in terms of how I went about preparing for that. It was kind of, it's about plotting Connell's anxiety throughout the show, because I think that's what that scene is a manifestation of. It's kind of him at the the height of his anxiety, depression, and, and ultimately he's he's got suicidal ideation. I, it's clear in the book anyway that that's the case. And it's about, for me, it was about plotting back through through episodes one, two, three, four, five, all the way to 10. It's kind of going, where, where are the breadcrumbs? What is the, what is the curve that is leading us to this day on set? And it, it was very clear to me that, that this is something that makes sense for the character. And, and at that point, I'd played Connell for about three months and I loved him and I do love him. And I felt a great deal of empathy towards him. And I don't know, it's upsetting when you read the script and you know him and you see what he's going through and you feel like a very first-hand relationship with him. So I think that definitely helped in terms of the actual shooting day. And it goes without saying that I was working with Hetty McDonald at that point and she was extraordinary with me that day. There was a really beautiful kind of um, energy on the set that day. That was another day where I didn't sleep particularly well the night before because I just, I prepared hard for it and I wanted it to go well. But there's also, you kind of have to leave a little bit of it up to chance and you've got to kind of hope that the preparation serves you on the day. And there were certain moments that day where the prep and the emotions of everything didn't click or didn't connect and panic sets in. And that's where Hetty was so brilliant. She would just calm me down. And then, then the camera starts moving in closer and you're like, okay, this is the, this is what you've uh, put the work in for. And you just kind of pray that it it comes out. Um, And yeah, I'm really proud of the work in that scene, but also what, the show is saying about depression and anxiety, particularly amongst young men.
This episode of Can't Stop Watching is presented by Succession on HBO. Power, politics, money, it's all in the family in this provocative, funny series about a highly dysfunctional dynasty. When Logan Roy, Brian Cox, CEO of one of the world's largest media and entertainment conglomerates, considers retirement, each of his four grown children follows a personal agenda that doesn't always sync with those of their siblings or of their father. IndieWire hailed the second season of Succession as the best show on TV, nominated for 18 Emmys, including Outstanding Drama Series. One of the things people respond so greatly to the book and the series is it feels like we're living it. Like we all identify to those feelings on some degree, whether they're as intense as Connell's feeling them or not. We like understand to some degree what it feels like to be going through what he's going through. And it makes it hard to watch. Like I remember seeing him in the therapy scenes and like I felt nauseous at times because it's like, I feel like I'm the one in the room having that moment. And I just wonder, like, did you find yourself pulling from something you went through at his age or did you pull from anything from your own life? You don't have to tell me what it is. No, 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 absolutely. I I think it would be, I'd be lying if I said that I experienced anything close to the level of, um, of what Connell was feeling. Like I talked to counselors, for example, and it was just that was kind of cross-referencing the kind of physical descriptions that Sally references in terms of him avoiding eye contact, him kind of crying and not wiping away the tears and stuff like that. And I just kind of wanted to reference that in terms of reality. And of course, Sally had done her homework way before I did, and that all kind of added up. It wasn't a matter of me pulling directly from my own life. Of course, you do a little bit where you feel like it's useful. For me personally, with acting, I personally find that less interesting for me because I feel like like in that context, my life is less interesting or less full than Connell's is. And that's why I like playing characters. And that's why I love Connell so much is because I feel like he has a lot more to say about certain things than I do and therefore kind of teaches me little things about myself. So I think it would have been remiss of me to kind of play what I thought to be the truth rather than what I think Connell's truth is at those moments. That feels kind of convoluted, but that's the best I can do on that, I think. It was interesting to like see how people were talking about the series early on, like those that hadn't read the book, because there was so much frustration of like, mm-hmm. why aren't they just communicating? And it's like, yes, there's aspects of that, but <laughs> yeah. as you continue, you see why that is that they're not and what they're struggling with. Yeah, and there'd be days on set where me and Daisy would be coming back in the car and we'd be like, oh, they could make life so much easier for themselves if they just did X or they did Y. But uh, ultimately, the series would be about three episodes long and not 12. Yeah, I, I, I think that for all the reasons that Connell and Marianne are frustrating, which there are many, there are also the kind of reasons that people love them so much and that when they actually connect, it feels so much fuller. Getting to play those moments on set where they're actually happy and they're like expressing things very clearly between each other. It was like Christmas. It felt like Christmas getting to play that. 
because you're kind of uh, the vast majority they're miscommunicating or they're yeah or they're not expressing things to each other so yeah they were very welcome moments of respite did playing that dynamic between Connell and Marianne did it open your mind to anything whether in terms of relationships or you know your own mental health like the way you should be talking about things like what did it sort of get you thinking about totally it's made everything a little more transparent to me because you are actively I spent like the last year, like a vast chunk of that last year was kind of actively or trying to be actively inside Connell's brain than mine. So you're thinking about things very differently. And I think I'm probably still a little too close to it to kind of have enough um, perspective, but it will definitely change the way I, I see things moving forward. In what sense, I'm not sure yet. I'll probably keep that private when I do figure it out, but I'm not sure exactly what it is yet. Well, and you grew up playing Gaelic football, right? And thought maybe you'd make a career out of it. Yeah. It's so funny. (laughs) I don't know why you're laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Because the funny thing is, it's an amateur sport and it feels totally, as, as much as I love that sport, and if I wasn't doing this, that's totally what I would be trying to do but it just it's their worlds apart and it just sounds nuts to me sometimes when people say it to me I'm like oh my god yeah that's crazy but it was a production of Phantom of the Opera at 16 that stirred something for you mm-hmm. do I have that right you have spot on <laughs> so what role did you play and how did the high of performing compare to the high of competing it was Phantom it was the the big man himself <laughs> I found the adrenaline rush of being on stage for the first time and feeling a response from the audience to be biggest high I've ever experienced in my life. And I like still have a really clear memory of that and kind of how exciting that feeling was walking off stage and then seeing my family and going like, what has just happened? But I, I feel like I miss the kind of feeling of competition. I, I, I feel like I'm a competitive person and I miss that kind of, that world. I miss the environment of team sports. I miss playing with my friends uh, on, on a football pitch, but um, I, I still have friends and I, <laughs> um, but I mean that in the sense that it, like they're, they're two very different environments and yeah, I, I, but I'm very obviously um, happy with the decision that I made, but there is certain parts of sport that I miss very much. Have any of your former teammates been in touch with you since the launch of the series? Yeah, totally. I've I've been in touch with a huge amount of them, and and, and what's great about those team sports like that is that regardless of how long you play it, if you kind of commit for years with a certain team, you make friendships for life, and I think. The only place that it equates to is that it feels like, well, on a set like Normal People, for example, and, and working with, with Daisy and Lenny and Hetty, it very much felt like there was total similarities to working within a team. And it is, it's, it's total teamwork. It doesn't exist without that. Well, you're going through these major moments, being a series that grabbed a hold of the zeitgeist and an Emmy nomination at a time that is otherwise disorienting and unprecedented. So that's a unique experience to go through while in confinement, basically, like being at home. Has it made it harder for everything to register for you? Does it feel like it's actually happening or like you're in a simulation? 
it's strange because 2020 in a professional capacity has definitely been the best year of my life professionally to date. But it has also been one that I have found, being totally honest, it's been difficult in terms of trying to adapt. And I know that's a very kind of like, that's the byproduct of being in a successful show, but it's not something that anybody teaches you about. And it's something that I have struggled to adapt to and I'm struggling to adapt to in a certain sense. Um, and also because I, it's hard to describe. It's just, it's tricky to adapt to and there's no kind of, as you said, it's an unprecedented time. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's tricky. Well, and it's like harder to ignore kind of everything like that's being said, yeah. like in terms of comments, reading comments or anything. We're mm-hmm. seeing what's, you know, written about whatever you post on Instagram or who you're seen with. You're with your phone all the time right now. Yeah, totally. And And it's also like the world is... At the moment, it feels like it's a pressure cooker. Everybody's observing everyone and everything. And it just happened. This show came out at a time and a lot of people's focus went on to the show and by proxy it went on to me and Daisy. And prior to lockdown, nobody's focus was on me (laughs) and Daisy. And suddenly during lockdown in this very kind of emotionally compressed space, there is cameras outside your house and that's just shit and hard to adapt to. Sorry for cursing. (laughs) I feel like I have to mention this before we wrap up. You just made your debut in a Rolling Stones video for their song Scarlet. That's pretty epic. (laughs) It's pretty epic. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's that sentence sounds mad to me that I'm in a Rolling Stones video. I'm really proud of it. I think it's it's a it's a really fun video. Did you interact with Mick Jagger? No, because it, it was, yeah, it was shot during um, lockdown. So it was uh, my first experience of working on set in kind of the new version of normal with masks and PPE gear and everything like that. But I, I met him over Zoom, which was pretty cool. So what was it like? Were they taking your temperatures before and all that stuff? Yeah, it was, it was a two-day shoot and temperatures, masks sanitizer, social distance, the works. While in quarantine, it's hard not to sort of be thinking about life and career decisions, sort of getting perspective on what you want to do next. Um, What have you been thinking about in terms of the next thing that you want to put out there, the next sort of project you want to take on? What has this sort of downtime got you thinking about? Predominantly what it's taught me is how much I, in this sense, so soppy, but I love the job that I get to do. And I've had way more time off than I ever, ever want again in my life. And uh, I don't want my agent to quote me on that because I imagine there will be a time when I'll want a break. But I, I think I've had enough of a break now to last me for a while. And I just really want to get back on a set and, and hopefully looks like that might happen at some point relatively soon. And I just can't wait. So what are you expecting from the big day with the virtual Emmys? This is something we haven't experienced before, virtual Emmys. How are you feeling about it? Does it take the pressure off? Oh, like, look, I don't, I, I, honestly, I haven't thought about it a huge amount. 
I'm curious as to what people are going to wear, what the dress code is going to be, because I think it'll be ridiculous if everybody's wearing tuxes to a virtual event. To be honest, all I hope for is that I'm put in a Zoom room with like the rest of my category and I get to talk to them for five minutes. That would be a, a victory in and of itself. But I, to be honest, I don't think anybody has um, any idea what to expect, really. Before I let you go, I have to ask a very crucial question. When was the last time your collarbone was adorned with a chain? <laughs> when was the last time it was adorned? And by adorn, I- I'm wearing one uh, now at the moment. Yeah. Right now? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to break the internet. Yeah. Could you have imagined a detail like that could just become a thing? No, and I don't think anybody could have imagined it. I, I, I'm still wrapping my head around why everybody has lost their minds over a chain. Do you follow the Instagram account? No. <laughs> it's just me then. Okay. It's um, just you. Paul, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, thanks so much and congratulations and good luck on the big day. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Thanks for talking with me. That's it for the final episode of our first season. Thank you for spending your time with me. I hope you enjoyed the conversations. And thank you to all our guests, folks like Christine Bransky, Milo Ventimiglia, Betty Gilpin, Tracy Ellis Ross, and so many more. If you didn't get a chance to listen to all of them, be sure to check them out. I've got to get back to watching TV. But before I go, let me just remind you, this podcast is hosted by me, Yvonne Villarreal. And I want to give a heartfelt thanks to the folks behind the scenes. Our producer is Paige Heimson, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and a special shout out to Elena Howell for booking the guests for this podcast. If you like Can't Stop Watching, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Matt Brennan, and Clint Shaw. We hope you're enjoying this podcast created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening and see you next time.